So um, we've been here uh, at the retreat center, uh, immersed in the natural world this weekend. And um, we have above us a slow, lazy stream of river, sky, <laughs> sky river, um, which uh, has um, sort of made the earth and the trees more prominent. And so in, um, so, so much of our environmental crisis arises from an inherited, unexamined, unconscious view that sees life as a mechanical system. Indeed, living beings, nature, and the whole universe as uh, functioning as smaller machines inside one big machine. And this came about in the 17th century when we decided it was childish and ignorant to uh, hold to the view of an animistic view of life. From the Latin word anima, meaning soul, um, also from where we get the word animal, animism sees all creation as alive and sentient. There, are, there, are no, there is no dead matter in the universe. These days, science and philosophy are rediscovering support for an all-alive universe we now call panpsychism from Greek pan, meaning all, everything, all, and psyche, meaning soul or mind. So all soul, all mind. And yesterday, Constance gave a wonderful Dharma talk about the four elements in our bodies, in, in everything here, and how it, those elements are alive. And indeed, they are. So um, it is an enormous benefit, one that we can't even measure for us, um, for the great earth in all of these beings, that we directly experience the dharma of our fellow creatures that are continually speaking to us. This morning, I'm going to tell you about the sentient being water. Um, and yes, I said sentient, and you will find out and understand why as I go on. There are many things we don't understand about water or know about water. Um, um, and why is this? Well, water is readily available, it's pervasive, and so we think we know everything there is to know about it, and we take it for granted. Um, and this, it is a misunderstanding to say that water is simply an inert substance, a dead utilitarian element. In Buddhism, in Buddha Dharma, all things in the entire world are living and are our fellow beings, and one is not less or more important than the other. Scientists across the world for decades have been studying indications that water has memory. It looks like water molecules record, store, and pass on information to the earth, animals, humans, anything it comes in contact with. Science is also studying evidence of a fourth phase of water. We've all heard of the three phases, uh, solid, liquid, vapor, 
but it looks like there's a phase between liquid and solid, a gel-like phase. And this uh, answers a lot of un inexplicable qualities about water. Um, there's so many, so many things I can tell you about water, but I just don't have enough time today. <laughs> um, so uh, pre-Socratic Greek philosopher Thales claimed water was essentially the source of all things. And so does Suzuki Roshi in Branching Streams Flow in the Darkness. He says, the nature of water is to contain things. Wherever you go, there is water. water Excuse me, Maite and everyone at ACRC. I'm so sorry. We, we can't understand much of what you're saying. And I was trying to get in touch with your um, technical crew. Can we pause for a second while we try to remedy the situation? It's a lovely talk, but we only we can't hear enough of it. We'd like to hear more. Nikki asks that you say a few words, maybe um, from. So yes. Um, can you hear me now? Not really. Put this closer, maybe. Uh, it's going to change the view. You can, can you can we increase the volume? That's not the place. This is the place where you're being heard by them. Oh, okay. Is that helpful? Can you hear me better now? Yes. No. Yes. Make it much closer. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's so much better. Thank you so much. Okay. All right, then. And can you point the microphone up toward your actual human mouth? <laughs> okay. So Suzuki Roshi also says that, in a way, is saying that water is the source of all things. And branching streams flow in the darkness. He Could said, you start earlier in the talk? Okay. Um, all right. Uh, scientists across the world for decades have been studying indications that water has memory. It looks like water molecules record, store, and pass on information to the earth, animals, humans, anything it comes in contact with. Science is also studying evidence of a fourth phase of water. We know the three phases, liquid, um, solid, and vapor, but it also looks like there is a phase between the liquid and solid, a gel-like phase, um, that answers uh, many inexplicable qualities of, about water. So uh, pre-Socratic Greek philosopher Thales claimed that water was essentially the source of all things. And so does Suzuki Roshi in Branching Streams Flow in the Darkness. He says, the nature of water is to contain things. Wherever you go, there is water. Water contains everything. This is the opposite to the usual way of thinking about water. Instead of saying there is water in the trunk of a tree, as well as the leaves and branches, 
we say that water contains the trunk of the tree as well as the leaves and branches. So water is something vast in which everything, including ourselves, exists. When you assemble all the facts about water that we do have, it really looks like all things in this particular universe came from water. Our planet is an ocean planet, ocean world, and we are water people. Water nurtures and inhabits all living things. Life on Earth originated from the sea. All kinds of plants and animals emerged from the sea. We humans are marked with the signs of our once upon a time ocean life, like our hands that resemble fish fins, just to mention one thing. 71% of the Earth's surface is water. Before birth, we flourished in the watery chamber of the womb. A human adult is two-thirds percent water. Being two-thirds percent water translates as 99% of the molecules in our bodies being water. The human brain is 80 to 85% water. The heart is 75 to 80% water. The most abundant material on planet Earth is cellulose that make up the plants and trees. Cellulose is 99% water. You could say that trees are essentially made of water and light. Light because trees live from sunlight in photosynthesis. The dark soil from the earth from which plant life grows was formed over eons by water seeping into giant boulders. Over millions of ice ages, the water froze and melted over and over again, powerfully expanding when it freeze, when it froze and it shatters the rocks time after time eventually breaking it up into a fine-grained, fertile soil. Isn't it interesting to hear these facts about water and watch how they turn our minds from our usual way of thinking? Around uh, 600 BCE, the time of Thales, water predominated as image and metaphor for the way in Taoism, which greatly influenced Zen. Like the characteristics of the Tao, the way, water is identified by what it is not. It is colorless, tasteless, odorless. Quoting the Tao, the supreme good is like water because it nourishes all things without trying to. It is content with low places that people disdain. And nothing in the world is as soft and yielding, yet for dissolving the hard and inflexible, nothing can surpass it. Avalokiteshvara, bodhisattva of great compassion, is associated with water. He, she, pours water from a vase, often is often depicted pouring water from a vase, the water of truth that cleanses defilements. Compassion, like the clarity of water, perceives everything unflinchingly, directly does not obstruct anything and is solace, putting out the flames of suffering. Water is receptive to anything it contacts. Like compassion, it does not turn away from anything. A few years ago, there was a time when I was very stressed um, at work 
and noticed that uh, Zazen had become unusually physically painful. And since this physical pain was coming to me during Zazen, I, um, I wanted to work with it and not just keep changing sitting positions. So, um, so by placing my attention squarely on the painful sensations, whether in my lower knee, lower leg, knees, or hips, I would relax and the pain with the pain moment by moment, each time relaxing a little bit more. And um, I noticed all the different ways in doing this and relaxing with each moment by moment with the pain. I noticed all the different ways that I resist. Um, for example, if even a subtle cringing away from it would kind of like coat it with this dull heaviness that I thought was like a way of pushing it away, but actually it was like infiltrating underneath. And um, that was one way. Another way was uh, judgments like uh, I shouldn't be having this pain. This this pain is bad for me. It's going to hurt me. Uh, I need to, you know, change my position or um, as a kind of a blind tinge of self-pity that um, that the pain was proof that life was was unfair and um, or that I was a bad person. Um, so these sorts of resistances produce all kinds of subtle tensions that may not be completely conscious to you um, all the time or, you know, but anyway, in in um, in opening my mind and heart to simply observe and relax, 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 moment by moment, um, and without the intention of making the pain go away, uh, just being present as close to it as I could be, it would dissipate, it would slip away, or it would fade into the background as something neutral, just a sensation. Um, and then later, often during the day, um, a viewpoint that I had been sticking to would become would come unstuck. So this is what the clarity, non-resistance, and compassion of Zazen, working with pain, can do. This sort of event is so simple and happens more frequently than we notice or will pay attention to. And when we do, we think it's nothing, but it's actually a huge, important, very, it's, it's of huge importance because if we stop to consider it, if we stop to consider it deeply, because it's so easy to forget just because our mind tells us something doesn't make it so. Physical pain in Zazen is almost always from resistance in our hearts, our minds. And as this is the case, it is perfectly normal that we experience pain in Zazen. It is simply an opportunity to practice with something essential. Water is formless, but it is the mold to form the shape, contour, and texture of other things. Morphologically, hearts, ears, eyes, intestines, bones, antlers, among many other things, bear the characteristic mark of water, the spiral, wave, and sphere. Water's first impulse is towards self-containment. It moves to make a spherical shape, but it will yield to earthly loss, abandoning this preference 
and will flow in a determined course. Photography of poured water shows first a rivulet, and then it becomes an elongated amorphous form. Then it pulls tighter together, making a teardrop shape. Finally, the last drops are perfect spheres. Falling on a clear starry night, it transforms an inconspicuous early morning meadow into a starry earth sky studded with twinkling <laughs> dewdrops. <laughs> Water envelops each single thing within um, a kind of microscopically thin uh, watery film. The whole planet and atmosphere are held as if inside an enormous drop of water. Water is found far in the universe, even beyond the Milky Way. As Dogen says in the Genjo Koan, the whole moon and entire sky are reflected in dewdrops on the grass or even in one drop of water. The depth of the drop is the height of the moon. Each reflection, however long or short its duration, manifests the vastness of the dewdrop and realizes the limitlessness of the moonlight in the sky. Once again, this point of view is opposite to our usual view, where man is the measure of all things, who measures all things from his view. From that perspective, I am a being separate from everything by the primacy of my position in a hierarchy I continually perpetuate. In Zen, one drop of water is also the limitless, limitless vastness of the sky it reflects. <clears throat> water creates great and small circulatory systems across life. A circulatory system has no beginning or end. Everything in it is inwardly connected, reciprocally related. Rising from oceans, lakes, and rivers, Water travels with air in enormous atmospheric currents around the earth, entering cooler zones, rising over mountain ranges. It condenses into clouds, transforming the entire sky into waterways. Fluffy popcorn-shaped, wavy ocean or rushing stream-shaped, clouds eventually fall back to earth as dew, rain, snow, or hail a little more than a third falling from the sky finds its way to the sea through streams and rivers. Otherwise, it sinks deep into aquifers or dissolving into the atmosphere is incorporated once again into the great wandering sky currents. It completes passage from liquid through vapor back to liquid 34 times a year, about every three months. It is through this great circulatory system that fresh water, fresh water is continually generated. Together, the earth, plant world, and atmosphere form a single great breathing organism in which water courses like the blood of the earth. It's hardly imaginable, but there's water. It even exists on the sun as water vapor in sunspots. Naturally flowing water always forms a winding course. It never flows straight ahead, naturally. It, why does it meander? Well, it's trying to get back into the shape of it, back into a sphere. Um, and so it's trying to close a circle, but because it can't flow upward, it forms open curves. From an aerial view, we see the great curving shape of a river, its tributaries branching out, 
echoing the veins and capillaries in our bodies. When left alone, water will regulate its flow by itself, forming barriers of silt and banks around, along rivers and streams. We would do well to trust the intelligence of nature as Native peoples do, and as we once did long ago. Here's an example of relearning to work with water's intelligence from an article in the New York Times this past summer. Southern Spain is a dry region now exacerbated by climate change. The Moors over a thousand years ago found a solution having closely observed the natural intelligence of water. They created a network of water channels throughout Andalusia. These channels fell then into disuse and were buried in the 1960s when Spain turned to mass agriculture favoring modern water control systems that have worsened drought conditions. Now these water channels are being excavated and brought back to life to adapt to the crisis of climate change. The genius of the system is that it echoes natural streams slowing down the water flow from the mountains to the plains to better retain and distribute it. Using water channels, snow melt from the mountains is diverted to multiple channels winding through the hills. The water soaks into the ground like a sponge, then circulates slowly through aquifers and, slow, and shows up months later down slope in springs that irrigate crops during the dry season. It also softens the soil in the high plains and spurts from fountains in the village. It has been so successful that ch cherries are growing once again in Andalusia. Water is a type of sense organ. The, the surfaces of flowing water are highly sensitive, responding to the slightest changes in their surroundings by expanding, contracting, and forming rhythmical waves interwoven into these varying surfaces. Water creates countless sensitive membranes perceiving everything taking place in the surroundings. Well, how does it do this? Well, first of all, it's completely open to its surroundings. Second, it's the most impressionable of all mediums. It is not only responsive to changes in its immediate surroundings, but also to the far off imponderable influences of the planetary universe. Water is imbued with the influences of the stars and the cosmos reflected in it. That in turn transmits and infuses into all earthly life. This is why water is called the mediator between the sky and the earth. There are experiments showing varying effects in the growth of wheat sprouts fed with water exposed to different night skies. It is a medium of connectivity permeated with messages of everything it touches and is reflected in it. All the creatures of the earth live by and in this stream of connectivity flowing within and without them. The five senses of our body function directly through water. Our far-seeing orbs, the eyeball, with its round entry into the black infinity of pupil and swirling whirlpools of iris is 99% water. We perceive the subtle inner natures of beings through the ear that discerns nuances in tonality and inflection, often not communicated visually. 
the ear, an extremely delicate structure, lies surrounded by and filled with water in a spiral shell of a cave, a semicircular canal intersecting itself three times as if emerging out of a vortex is what gives us the ability to hold ourselves upright, move and experience ourselves in space. Water is the perfect medium to transmit sounds for the speed of sound is four times faster in water than in air. Our senses of touch, smell, taste are all due to various waters in our body. Cerebral spinal, synaptic fluids, mucus, saliva, that can dissolve substances into chemical components carried then to sense uh, receptors. Water is the strongest universal solvent we know. It can dissolve anything over time. For me, the most unexpected thing of, of, about water is that the water that is present on Earth right now is the same water that was originally here, and half of it is older than the sun. Water was here as a huge single ocean before Pangaea, Mother Earth, rose out of the water as a single land mass three billion years um, before breaking up into continents. The sun is about 4.5 billion years old, predates and predates all other bodies in our solar system, but is, but, and much of the water um, right here. Uh, where am I but much of the water right here, right now, is older than the sun. <laughs> okay, half of the water here came from interstellar dust ice pulled into swirling, swirling, that's watery, swirling planetary disks around the young star that became our sun and eventually incorporated itself into the earth. Water does not leave the earth and it doesn't come from outer space. It's not replenished from outer space. As vapor in the atmosphere, it could potentially escape into space, but floating up to extreme cold regions of the atmosphere, it becomes ice and Earth's gravitational pull brings it back down into the atmospheric currents. It may be that the entire history of our solar system is written in the water that is here right now just as our present history is being written on the face of this very same water. How could this be? The conventional mechanistic view says a mind is located in a brain. Now we know a locatable thing occupying space contains a limited amount of space. Then how could water hold so much memory? Of late, we have discovered that mind, consciousness, is not located in brains. It is, in fact, unlocatable. And we have a clue turning to panpsychism, which says mind, consciousness, is a fundamental, ubiquitous feature of reality, and that everything material, no matter how small, has individual consciousness. Does this remind you of anything? Mm -hmm. I quote the first gata of the Flower Ornament Sutra. The Buddha body extends throughout all the great assemblies of beings. It fills the cosmos without end. Quiescent, without essence, it cannot be grasped. It appears just to save beings. And I end with 2,000 
200, sorry, 200 million years ago, water, even then very ancient, of unknown origins, covered the face of Pangaea, Mother Earth. The other day, a drop of rain slid down my face from the frosty grass fields of Mongolia, ascended to the heavens, blinked off a seal's eyelash, frolicking the South Pole. Once spilled from a broken jug in Athens, when Socrates roamed the streets, conversing with his fellow citizens in the year 380 BC. The entire history of the universe, written in a vapor molecule of a small cloud lazily floating over Berlin this very moment, I exhaled nine months ago in Chapel Hill, Texas. Everything is in everything. Here, all at once, you tell me where's inside. Where's outside? Homage to all the wondrous beings surrounding us all the time that have everything to teach us about the nature of reality.